Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Wow, what a good looking bunch. <laughs> you guys doing well? Can we go ahead and thank Nathan and the worship team just for just killing it as usual, leading us into the presence of God. So good. I just love the worship here so much. Um, It is just an honor to be with you guys. I'm going to ask my wife, my beautiful wife, Anna, to stand and just wave at everybody. She hates when I do this. (laughs) But I need to show her off. I mean, come on. He who finds a wife finds a very good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And uh, I got so much favor when I married Anna. I could just have an encounter right now. Just <laughs> um, it just really is an honor to be with you guys. Um, we did, I just want to say ditto to uh, Joel and Lauren. Anna and I just adore your pastors and leaders. And um, how many of you know it's one thing to have pastors and leaders that are really anointed from the pulpit? It's another thing to have pastors and leaders who are the same Monday, Tuesday morning, and Wednesday night um, as they are on the pulpit. And at Sozo Church, in Joel and Lauren, in the rest of the team, the pastors, the staff, you have the real deal. And uh, um, my wife and I have been attending here now for about three months as we've transitioned. We were on staff at a church in San Antonio for about seven years. So we're in transition. We've transitioned out of our house, or out of being on staff at this church, and uh, have been attending here for the past few months um, uh, when we're in town, which has been um, more than, you know, quite a bit lately. Um, and uh, we just love this house, and we love your pastors, Joel and Lauren. Can we just honor them right now? Just thank Jesus. Yeah, let's stand and just honor just Joel and Lauren, the whole team, the pastors, the leaders here. Just the real deal, man. And. And yeah, I, uh, I have a picture of my girls. My wife and I have three beautiful girls. Um, if we can throw those up there, I think there's our three girls, our two girls, our twins. That's Autumn and Charlie, um, identical twins. And we have London Grace coming up. There she is, boom. So Autumn and Charlie are six, London's two. And uh, there's a lot of estrogen in my house. So if you could just, everybody just stretch your hand toward me real quick (laughs) and say, we release grace in Jesus' name. Dustin, get ready, bro. It's coming at you. No, it's just so much fun. There's like, they're just, they're just a blast. And, uh, but it's just an honor to be here. Um, When uh, Joel, you know, we talked about, I'm like, hey, dude, I'm like, if you ever need me to just kind of fill in, preach, I just want to serve you guys. He's like, yeah, I've been thinking about having you, why don't you come? This day, and I remember, um, I, I also do some real estate on the side, and I was, uh, I was sitting in my office, and there was nobody else in the office, and I was just praying about my time with you guys. And I just began, my heart just began to get wrecked by the love of God and the love that he has for this house. And I just started to feel so much just the Father's pleasure over Sozo Church, and, and I have, if I was going to um, prophesy over you right now, I would say, thus saith the Lord. The Father doesn't just love you. He really likes you. <laughs> he really likes Sozo. He really likes this house. And, and we just love, we, we've just loved our time with you guys. Just the, the worship is just off the charts, man. Anointed, um, just 
solid teaching. By the way, I got to, we were on vacation, so I didn't get to hear, but we went, I went back and listened to the majority of Lauren's message between being distracted by kids and whatnot. But did Lauren not hit it out of the park on Mother's Day? I mean, come on. Like, just, just authority, revelation, wisdom. I was like, you get it. And just all of Joel's messages and Steve and everybody that I've heard um, preach here. I'm, I'm sorry, is it Bill? Bill, man, Bill just crushed it a couple weeks ago, just bringing just a pastoral, fatherly, timely message and did such a great job. And Steve, of course, sharing the gospel and, um, and just Joel's just revelation and teaching. And there's just, there's just quality in this house. Let me just say this. How many of you know that there's churches that have a lot of excellence? There's churches that have a real honor and value for the presence of God and the manifest presence, miracles, signs, wonders. And then there's churches that have a ton of excellence and they make so much room for the move of the Holy Spirit. And this is a house that has both. And let me just say this, when we talk about heaven touching earth, you know, we often think about miracles, signs, wonders, the presence of God. But how many of you know that heaven is beautiful? Heaven is astounding. Like heaven is just so majestic, so, so orderly in the best possible way. There's so much beauty and excellence in heaven. And how many of you know that sometimes when heaven touches earth, it looks like the excellence of heaven on display in order to point people to the glory of God? And this is a house that has both. And I, I know I've been kind of rambling, but I just want to say, I love this house. You guys have both. You're doing such a good job. And uh, let's again, just thank God for your pastors and leaders. Can we do that? So, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get moving. My wife wrote an incredible book called Embracing Mystery, A 21-Day Journey to Hope. Um, let me just say this. How many of you know it's one thing to have hope when things are going really, really well? <laughs> it's another thing to have hope when circumstances are challenging your hope level. And I like to describe hope as this. Hope is a joyful, confident expectation that good is coming because we have a really good God. And uh, so this is about um, 21-day journey to hope. How many of you want this? Who wants this? Who just needs a, a hope upgrade in your life? This lady right here in the, one of you, you pointed at her. Okay, this lady right here in the, in the sweater, that's yours. Does someone want to give that to her? Bless you. What's your name? Samantha. Bless you, Samantha. That's for you. Um, I just want to brag on my wife for a minute. She, uh, like, I've been working on a book for like six years, <laughs> and it's finally coming out this summer. But my wife, thank you. Um, my wife got a prophetic word from a real prophetic man at Bethel Church. We were part of Bethel Church for about seven years in Redding, California. She got a prophetic word that she was going to write a book. We're in this house of like, I don't know, 30 people. And uh, this, you know, you'd all know his name. He's like a prophet. He prophesies over Anna that she's going to write this book. That there's a writing gift on her life. You know, and she goes home. The next day, writes the entire outline. What? And within months, releases this book. So if you want a, a gift of writing and acceleration, and if you want to break off procrastination, the spirit of procrastination, have her lay hands on you. Let her release that, you know, over you. And, and let me just say this. She's writing, um, she just finished a children's book. It's amazing, called um, Made to Create, all about creativity. 
and how we're called to be free from comparison and, uh, and create and, and, and all the beautiful ways we're called to do that. And that's coming out, a children's book. So you're going to want to keep an eye on that. So, yeah. All right. Just had to brag on my wife a little bit. All right, you guys doing okay? All right. I'm going to share a message that um, I felt like the Lord kind of steered me here. And uh, it might be less of a teaching and a little bit more of just an encouragement and maybe a prophetic word um, for this house and maybe the church in general in this hour. And if you have your Bibles, go with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And uh, starting in verse 4, I'm going to read this one from the New King James. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse seven, and the peace of God, everybody say the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't you love that passage of scripture? Now I wanna read it again. I'm gonna read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message Translation. Listen to this, I love this. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all that you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Instead of worrying, don't worry. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Now check this out. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. We could kind of go home right now, couldn't we? (laughs) I love that. Now listen to this, James chapter one, verse two. Again, New King James. James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Again, I want to read this one in the message. Check this out. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. It's not my fault. This isn't the Bible. <laughs> Let it do its work so you may become mature, not deficient in any way. One of the things that every single one of us as followers of Jesus will have to come to terms with at some point in our Christian walk, our walk of faith, our walk with Jesus, is that although we have a God who has 
absolutely, outrageously, 100%, you cannot exaggerate, good. That although we have a God that is outrageously perfect, the uncreated God who doesn't have one flaw, who is his, all of his intentions are for, toward us are for good and not for evil. That God who is outrageously good. I said this in the back room earlier. Bobby Connor loves to say, like, we have permission to exaggerate his goodness. He's that good. I like to tell people all the time, he's better than you think he is. And as soon as you think you got a revelation and understanding of how good God is, he's like, nice try, but I'm actually way better than that. <laughs> but here's the deal. Every one of us, at some point in our walk with the Lord, are going to have to come to terms with the reality that as we live in this imperfect world, although we have a God who's outrageously good, difficult things, painful things, and oftentimes things that we don't understand happen around us and sometimes happen directly to us. And it's in that moment that we need to make a decision. Am I going to hold on to that deep burning conviction that God is outrageously good, even when things are happening around me that seem to be contradicting that reality? Every single one of us. Just to share a little bit of um, my wife and I's own story, we, uh, we got married in 2012, and um, uh, we got married in 2012. We lived in Redding, California. Shortly after, we started trying to get pregnant. And uh, after trying for some time and we weren't getting pregnant, we went to see a specialist in Redding, and we were told that we, uh, that we had infertility. And, and, it, and it, was actually, it was actually male factor infertility. How's that for a confession? but that's okay. I am very secure in my masculinity. <laughs> and we were told basically by one specialist, like, you should probably just consider adoption. So we're like, let's get a second opinion. We go to San Francisco. Was it San Francisco or Sacramento? Chico. <laughs> another specialist in Reading. <laughs> we went somewhere else to another city for another opinion. And they said, and, and they told us the same thing. Like, you're not going to be, you're not going to be able to get pregnant. Um, you should probably consider adoption. Now I've, I wanted to have kids, but you need to understand that my wife grew up. Like she, I think she was caught like changing her friend's diaper when she was six years old. Like she all, she always wanted to be a mom. Her dream was to be, uh, to be married, to be a mom and always knew that she would be an amazing mom. And uh, that was her dream. And then all of a sudden we get this news that we're not going to be able to get pregnant. Now, how many of you know that that's a pretty big blow to any, any couple, let alone a young married couple that wants to have kids? And I remember we got that news. We came home. We're sitting on our couch, and we just began to weep. Just the grief, the pain, it just started to set in, and we just sat on our couch, and we began to weep. And uh, then we, we called our friend, and we went to our friend's house in, in Reading. We sat on their couch, and we just we just began to share what we heard, and we just began to cry, and they're there with us, and they're listening but I can honestly say that in the midst of this painful news, and I'll speak for myself, in the midst of this painful news that we received, I could feel and sense and know a peace that passed my understanding. And, and we just read about a peace that passes our understanding. I love what Bill Johnson says. If you want peace that passes your understanding, sometimes you need to give up your right to understand everything. How many of you know that as sons and daughters of God, sometimes we make an idol out of control and certainty? And he said, 
And, and Bill also always, always says, if you want peace that passes understanding, you need to give up your right to understand. And there's something about being anchored in the reality that God is good, but yet sometimes things happen in around us or to us that we don't have an answer for. And it's in that moment that we need to decide, God, I don't understand all of this, but I believe you're outrageously good anyway. You know, one of the best ways to shipwreck your faith is to hold God hostage to one particular answered prayer. God, if you don't do this, then you're not who you said you are. You know, we see this in the life of John the Baptist, don't we? We don't have to turn there, but do you remember John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, grows up as the forerunner to Jesus himself. Jesus called him the greatest prophet. He's preaching, prepare a way for the Lord, rebuking the Pharisees. Like John the Baptist is straight up gangster. Raw faith, camel hair, eating grasshoppers, like, like ripping into the religious leaders, doesn't care, living in the desert. Jesus is like, I like this cousin. <laughs> Next thing you know, John the Baptist rebukes Herod, King Herod, for living in immorality, for making stupid decisions. Herod throws him in prison and is about to cut his head off. And next thing you know, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, spiritual gangster, ripping the Pharisees, preaching, prepare a way for the Lord, living ahead of his time, all of a sudden is in prison having a crisis of faith. And it says that he sent two of his disciples to Jesus to say, go find my cousin and ask him, are you actually the one or should we wait for another? John the Baptist. Next thing you know, the disciples come. John the Baptist's disciples go to Jesus. John wants to know, are you actually the one or should we wait for another? Do you remember Jesus' response? Jesus said, go tell John this. Remember, John's in prison, not getting out, ready to lose his head. He said, go tell John this. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are being raised, the poor having the gospel preached to them. In other words, go tell John, I'm still doing all these things. I'm still outrageously good. I'm still God in the flesh and I am perfect and I am good. And then he said this, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Some translations say, blessed is he who doesn't stumble or fall away because of me. In other words, blessed is he who doesn't get so offended with God because God doesn't answer one particular prayer or work things out the way they wanted them to work out. And you know, sometimes we just need to, in our, in our circumstances, in our pain, in our difficulty, we just need to be honest and go, you know what? I don't understand why this is happening, but I believe he's outrageously good and I'm gonna worship him and I'm not gonna move from this reality because he is the king of kings and he's perfect in all his ways. And you know, if I was gonna title this message or this talk or whatever you wanna call it, you know what I'd probably call it? I'd probably call it being seated in heavenly places. Because how many of you know that when we realize, like it says in Ephesians 2, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, we start to realize that we are literally, and Joel began to preach my message during transition, we are literally with Christ right now, seated with him, above our circumstances. 
In fact, turn to the person beside you right now and say, first of all, say you're really good looking today. And now I want you to say, did you know that you are seated far above your circumstances? Listen, I, like, I watched a lady named Anna Marr live out the reality that she is seated above her circumstances when we are in this battle of, of facing infertility and we're living in California. We're on the road traveling. Now, keep in mind, we're traveling. We're prophesying over people. We're seeing breakthrough. We're seeing infertility broken off of people. We're seeing miracles and all of a sudden, we're facing our own challenge, and we're not getting that breakthrough that we're hoping for. And I watched a woman who knows she's seated with Christ above her circumstances, where whenever we're uh, back home in Reading, and we weren't traveling, and it was a Sunday morning, we'd be in church you know, for worship at usually the early service, 8.30 a.m. Sunday morning. I could show you where we sat. And, and I would watch her, where she might have just, another month might have passed by, and we just realized we're not pregnant again. And I would look over at her. While her arms are in the air, tears are coming down her cheeks because the pain's real. But she's anchored in the reality that he's good. And she just begins to worship him and tell Jesus how amazing he is. And that's what the Bible calls a sacrifice of praise. And see, when we know we're seated with Christ in heavenly places above our circumstances, we can confidently worship him and tell him how amazing he is, even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of things that we don't understand. And, and you know where, you know where my, one of my favorite scriptural examples of this is? Is Acts 16, when Paul and Silas get thrown in prison. Now, this, this story is crazy. Like, Paul's also a pretty gangster because, um, remember, like it says that Paul and his, and his crew were on their way to a prayer meeting, and it says this servant girl was following them, saying, these men are servants of the most high God, and they're telling you the way to be saved. Now, this wasn't a positive thing. They weren't helping Paul. It was like, it was mocking. It was like, it was like uh, harassing. And it said this went on day after day. And then it says, Paul, being greatly annoyed... <laughs> <laughs> turns around and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her and cast this demon out of her. And this, this was a servant girl who uh, was demon possessed and a fortune teller and her, her, her owners made a ton of money from her. All of a sudden she gets delivered by Paul and they're, they're, they're upset, the people that are losing money now. So they lie about Paul and Silas, have them thrown in prison. And it says this in Acts 16. It says, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were chained up in prison. Now, let me just tell you, this wasn't like a, a semi-comfortable prison with a semi-comfortable bed with a TV where they could watch iBethel TV, okay? This, this, was, this was like raw, dark, cold, probably had sewage running through it. They're chained up in prison. And by the way, they don't know what's about to happen. You and I know the story, don't we? They're chained up in prison. It says that about midnight, they, they begin praying and singing hymns to God. And that just wrecks my heart, dude. They don't know if they're going to get out. They don't even know if they're going to be killed. But Paul and Silas are so anchored in a kingdom reality that they're in this world, but they're not of it. They're like, I don't care what you do to me. Do you know how blissed out I am by the reality that I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places? And it says they began praying and singing hymns to God. Let me, let me just say this. I don't believe this was some strategy. 
This wasn't Paul going, Silas, it's gonna be okay, bro. You know why? I really feel like, like I've been, I've been worshiping um, to Upper Room a lot lately. And I find every time I sing surrounded, and I feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Silas, don't worry, bro. Every time I sing that, dude, Jesus loves it so much. And I start to feel the presence so strong. I bet if we start to sing Jesus, his favorite worship song, (laughs) this prison is going to start to shake by the very foundations. Our chains are going to fall off. All the prisoners are. So let's just begin to sing. You ready? It might sound like, but no, 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 no. Listen, Paul and Silas's worship wasn't a strategy. It was simply a response to a person. And his name's Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what we're facing, what we're going through, what we're walking through. There's something about knowing we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That no, and listen, it doesn't matter what the devil throws at us. It doesn't what, that matter what life throws at us. When we know we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, we can confidently worship no matter what's happening around us. And because of his response to the goodness of God, God's like, I love that posture so much that I can't help but show up. Let's, let's do something. I can, I can picture the father going, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you ready for this? We are gonna rock these Romans. We're, we're gonna rock these Jews. We are gonna shake the foundation of that prison, which by the way, is a prophetic picture. It says at about midnight. How many of you know that midnight is the change of the watch and it speaks of shift? It, it, it speaks of a shift in seasons. And I really believe that a key to your season season shifting isn't some strategy where you sing God his favorite worship song. It's simply keeping the heart posture that no matter what's going around, going on around me, I know that you're good and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you because I am seated with you in heavenly places. And let me just say this. I believe every time the enemy puts his hand on a child of God, he's taking a huge risk, massive risk. Like the, the, the enemy, how many of you know he doesn't know the future? And he doesn't always know what your response is going to be. That's why it says the enemy is like prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. How do you know that not everybody's devourable? (laughs) He's looking for people who are devourable. Who are devourable? People who give up believing that he's good. But if we will be anchored in the reality that he is who he says he is, and, and, and it... And, and, and I believe every time the enemy touches a child of God, he's, making a, he's taking a risk because if we will respond, even in the midst of confusion, even in the midst of not understanding, I don't know what, what, what all this is about, but this is one thing I do know. You are perfect. You are God. You are holy. All of your intentions toward me are for good and not for evil. If we will stay in that lane, I promise you, God will cause the enemy's plans to backfire. I said this in the back room, God is so outrageously good that even your failures and your mistakes, and let me just say this, even your sin, God will turn around and work together for good and actually use it to propel you into your destiny. Does that mean we should be stupid and make dumb mistakes and sin because we know God will use that? No, no, no. Paul, Paul cleared that up. He said, no, don't be stupid. But when our hearts repent unto the Lord, God will use absolutely everything together for your good and for your promotion. It's good news. So I watched, you know, Anna, Sunday after Sunday, just worshiping God, 
in the midst of the pain. And, and, and again, God said, devil, take your best shot. But just for messing with my kids, I'm not just going to let them have kids. I'm going to give them two at a time. And God gave us Isaiah 61, where it says, instead of their shame, they will receive a double portion. And I even want to just prophesy over Autumn and Charlie that they're going to grow up. They're already, they're already, they're radical. They love God, but they're going to, they're going to grow up and they're going to prophesy and heal the sick and raise the dead and preach the gospel and make the devil wish that he never messed with us because he causes all things to work together for good. See, God is a genius at causing everything that happens to us or around us to work together for our good. I have a friend named Jeff in, uh, in Oregon, and he pastors a church, and we used to speak at his church when we lived in, lived in California, but Jeff's mom was diagnosed with cancer, or not his mom, his wife was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, she had gone into remission, and then it had come back, and we we're living in San Antonio at the time, and I called Jeff one day, and I, I, he was just on my heart, so I called him, I'm like, bro, how are you doing? Um, how, how, are things, how are things going? Um, with, uh, with your wife. And, and he's like, well, dude, let me just tell you. He said, just, just the other week, um, I was at the hospital and we were there because the, the cancer had come back and she was going in for treatments and we were there. And he said, as we were there and she was in, you know, having a procedure done, he said, I was so frustrated and so angry that I was literally pacing in the waiting room, just frustrated and angry. And he said, as I was doing this, and I'm just having this eternal wrestle, I heard the voice of the Lord, and I heard the Lord say, Jeff, I want you to choose joy. And it kind of threw him off. He's like, he's like, what? He's like, what did you say? He's like, I want you to choose joy. And he's like, all right, Lord, I, I, I choose joy. Remember, count it all joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. He said, I want you to choose joy. And in that moment, he goes, okay. And, and, and something, he just made a conscious decision to shift in his spirit. And he said, okay. And he said out loud, God, I choose joy. As soon as he said, I choose joy, he heard the Lord say, see that lady over there? And he said, yeah. He said, I want you to go tell her that I like her artwork. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And Jeff, you know, he moves in the prophetic and he does that sort of thing. So he goes over to this lady and he said, he's choosing joy. He's moving in the opposite spirit. And he goes over to her and he goes, excuse me, ma'am. She said, yeah. He said, the Lord just, um, I'm a Christian and Jesus, this is what he said, actually. He goes, I'm a Christian and Jesus talks to me. Do you want to hear what he has to say? <laughs> either she was humoring him or she wanted to know, I don't know. But I, by the way, either one worked for me, man. I like, I approach people all the time. I'm like, hey, can I pray for you? And they might be super uncomfortable. They're like, they're like, okay. I'm like, all right, good enough for me. I mean, they could have said no if they wanted to. <laughs> I, I know one pastor, he was like, and I, would, I don't recommend this, but he's like, when he goes, when he would go to pray for somebody, he'd be like, hey man, can I pray for your arm? They're like, no. He's like, dude, I can't just pray for you. <laughs> and, 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 he, and he's like, no, I don't want you to pray for me. He's like, bro, I can't just be like, be healed in Jesus' name. He's like, starts tapping his arm. And like, this actually happened. They got the person at full on healing right there on the spot against their will. But anyway. So he goes, so he goes, Jesus talks to me. Do you want to hear what he has to say to you? And uh, she's like, sure. And she said, or he said, the Lord wants you to know he likes your artwork. She just starts weeping. She goes, you don't understand. He said, what? She said, my, my grandfather is an artist and he's incredible. 
And I always said I wanted to be an artist, but I never thought my art was good enough. And right there in the hospital room, he said, God wants you to know he likes your artwork. She weeps. She experiences freedom. He leads her in inner healing right there in the hospital room. She probably met Jesus all because he chose joy and decided to move in the opposite spirit. Next thing you know, he, Jeff is so lit up now by this encounter that he just starts prophesying over people in, in, in the waiting room. He's going up and down the hallways of this hospital. Why, why do I share that? Because there's something, about, there, there's something about knowing we're seated with Christ above our circumstances that we can start to move in the opposite spirit even before we see our own personal breakthrough. And I believe it's oftentimes, by the way, this is a real practical pastoral word for you. One of the best ways to get over your own situation, your own discouragement, your own trial is to just take a moment and get your eyes off of yourself and bless somebody else. And, and, and so he does this, and all of a sudden he feel the, feels this shift because he knows he's seated with Christ in heavenly places. I, I have another, uh, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna share this story. And I'll almost finish with this. <laughs> I have a friend named uh, Carlos. Joel knows him. Um, Carlos Padilla, he was a, a friend of mine in San Antonio. He has since gone to Bethel kind of mentored him in San Antonio and he went to Bethel Church and he has since got married and went and planted a church in, in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, but after he went from San Antonio to, to Reading, during his first year of school of ministry, he went on a mission trip to South Africa. Now, this is crazy. He goes on this mission. Do you know this story? He goes on this mission trip to South Africa and they're out, shortly after they got there, they're out on the streets doing evangelism, praying for the sick, all of these things. And uh, as he's out there sharing the gospel with people, he goes to cross the street. True story. This is like a movie. A car comes, doesn't see him, hits him. He flies over the car and he ended up like breaking his, his knees, like maybe in a couple places, had to have surgery. And I don't know if it was shock or if it was supernatural, but when this happened, he heard this roar in the spirit. Like he hears this, like almost like a lion's roar as it happens. And he's lying there. And for, for a period of time, he didn't feel any pain. And then next thing you know, this, the person that hit him pulls over. They come, there's a crowd around them now. And this person that hit him is just like hysterical as anybody would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. And then one of the people with Carlos said, this is the guy that hit you. Now, this is crazy. Carlos said, Carlos could see that this guy is shooken up. And Carlos goes, uh, you were driving the car that hit me? He goes, yeah. Carlos takes him by the hand and goes, I forgive you and I love you and Jesus loves you. And he leads him to Jesus right there beside the, <laughs> before the ambulance got there. And like, somebody say backfire. <laughs> like talk about the devil overplaying his hand, but it gets better. So Carlos leads him to Jesus, and then Carlos gets taken to the hospital, and after he's there for some period of time, he's, uh, he's being wheeled in a wheelchair to have some x-rays done before or after surgery, I don't know, and he's there, and as he's going into the x-ray room, he starts getting words of knowledge for healing for other people that are kind of in this, in this space in the hospital. So he starts moving in words of knowledge, and people are getting healed while he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> These people start experiencing healing, and then... Uh, and then, and then next thing you know, there's a lineup at the x-ray room for people to receive healing prayer while he's in a wheelchair. And, and he's there, 
and uh, he's praying for people. They're getting healed. They're getting breakthrough. As this went on, the story's crazy. What happened is even when he was back in his hospital room, like almost every day, there'd be lines of people in his hospital room, including some hospital staff, to get prayed for, for prayer. And I think he said that they, they saw like 60 to 70 healings and a ton of people surrender their life to Jesus and get born again. Can we just give the Lord a hand and just thank him for that? But listen, that, that was like kind of uh, leading up to Easter. On Good Friday, the guy that hit him and gave his life to Jesus <clears throat> came to church to the Good Friday service with his entire family and his entirely, entire family gave their life to Jesus and got water baptized right there on Good Friday. Yes. Everybody say, all things work together for our good. And there's just something about knowing we're seated with Christ in heavenly places above our circumstances that gives us just an expectation for the Lord to turn any situation around and use it for his glory. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and uh, as, as we move into some ministry time. And uh, as, as they come up and we do that, I just want to share from Psalm 84 that I really believe just kind of sums all of this up. And it says this in Psalm 84, verse five. It says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Verse six, as they pass through the valley of Baca, everybody say Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. That word baka means tears. And he's saying, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As he passes through the valley of tears, he makes it a place of springs. And I really believe prophetically that this morning, God wants to turn some valleys of Baca into a place of springs. God wants to turn some impossible situations around. He wants to cause all things to work together for your good. But what I love about this is it says, as he passes through the valley, notice that, notice that it doesn't say as he sets up camp there. Have you ever talked to somebody and you're like, hey, man, you haven't seen them in a while? You're like, man, how have you been, man? How you doing? They're like, well, I'm doing all right, man. I've just been in a wilderness. And uh, you're like, weren't you in a wilderness like 10 years ago <laughs> when I saw you? And listen, I don't want to negate anybody's wilderness experience. We all go through difficult times. We all go through trials. But I'd like to propose to you that we're not called to set up camp there. We're called to keep moving through it. As he passes through the valley of Baca, he makes it a place of springs. We all know Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why is he fearing no evil? Well, because God's rod and his staff is with him. It comforts him. But it's also because he's going through it. He knows he's going to come out on the other side. We're not called to set up camp in our valley. We're called to transform our valley into a place of springs. 
And what I love about the goodness of God is he is an absolute genius at turning any situation around for our good and for his glory. So let's do this. Let's just all, let's all stand together. And what I feel like we're supposed to do, first of all, is I feel like we're just supposed to spend just a couple minutes telling God how amazing he is. Before we pray for anyone, I just want to, Nathan's going to lead us in some type of a song. And we're just going to lift our hands to heaven and just begin to tell Jesus how beautiful he is. Just begin to tell the Father how good he is. Just begin to worship him in your own words. And some of you, it might even be a sacrifice of praise. Even in the midst of your pain, your challenge, your difficulty, something you'd understand. Just begin to offer the Father a sacrifice of praise and tell him how good he is. So let's just go ahead and worship just for a minute. We love you, Jesus. You're beautiful.